One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello, and welcome to this week's podcast, An Irish Political Dynasty. I'm Maurice O'Keefe. Bridget Hogan O'Higgins was a former Fianna Gael politician who served as TD from 1957 to 1977 in the county of Galway. In 2013, I visited the home of Bridget Hogan O'Higgins to talk to her about her fascinating family history. It was a cold January day and we sat in front of a big open sparkling fire. I'm here in the village of Kilreekle, which is yes. just outside Loch, Loch Ray, and I'm talking to Bridget Hogan Higgins. But the house we're in here, Bridget, is a very historical house. Yes, it's a nice house too. It's, um, it was, it's you know, when it goes for valuation for property tax, you wouldn't get buttons for it. But it's built, it's, uh, the front of it is nearly 400 years old, but the back of it was burnt during the Civil War. It was political, really. It was during the, the Civil War. My father and James and Michael were, uh, uh, his two brothers, James and Michael, were active in in all the uh, troubles, the yes. troubles, as I say. This house here, then, you say it was targeted during the Civil War. Well, it, was, it was, well, um, it was my grandmother's house, really. Uh, it was her home. And during the Civil War, my grandmother was here in the drawing room. And it's just a nice little story attached to that. There were a couple of maids in the houses, as one had in those days. And one of them was a girl called Kelly. I think Kelly was her name. And uh, she had... Um, uncles in what we call the bog behind us really but it is the bog it's verging on the bog and there were two single uh, men and a, 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 a lady and uh, an aunt and uh, Mary who was here and another sister was living with the aunt and the, uh, the um, irregulars for the want of a better name for them they were always called here uh, came and stored stuff there you know they were burning and lighting and the devil knows what so they heard that they were coming here next to the, the girl and she came out here and she told them but she did a very brave thing to my mind she was only a young girl she emptied half the petrol out of every uh, can and filled it up with water and of course the oil rose and the cans so they came up here to burn the house and there were 90 cows in the byres, 90 cows. My Aunt Mary was home from Paris. She had been in school. And Nelly, no one else, and my grandmother, whatever maids were around. And um, the cows were... And anyway, they came in and they said they were going to uh, burn the house down and get out. So uh, my mother, grandmother refused to get out, but then she did. But Aunt Mary said to them, surely 
you're not going to burn the cows and the buyers. Yeah. And we'd no electricity in those days. And um, she, she said, they said to her, there were four men, they said to her, uh, we can't let them out. We don't know how to untie the clips, you see. She, she says, I'll show you. So she went off with, they went off with the lantern and she showed them. And he was footing and she said, give me that, uh, give me that. I'll open them for you. And he, um, she did. And you know, he turned around and he said, thank you, Miss Mary. She sure, they knew well and they were locals. They, and they, they, the back of the house burnt and up the stairs burnt and whatever, there were two bedrooms and on, uh, upstairs and, and two other rooms and one was my father's study. Now, all his stuff went in that. But, um, all his papers? Yeah, a lot of them. But, uh, a lot of them, but I'll tell you another story now. This is more, which is sadder, really. Um, anyway, upstairs, when they went to burn the bedrooms... There's a, um, a stain on the, the floor where the, the petrol burnt and then died out in what, uh, the, uh, one bedroom at the top of the stairs. And I had a fellow restoring furniture for me. He was Dutchman. And uh, he said, this, this, this beautiful wardrobe, but it has been in a fire. Mm. So I said, I know, I know. But I had a fellow laying carpets there about five or six years ago, maybe more, and he said, this, this floor was burnt. I said, yes, it was burnt in the Civil War. What, what war, the Civil War? God's sake, I said, your father was uh, uh, supposed to be guarding this house. Your grandfather. And do you not know anything about the Civil War? No, he said. Uh, what was his name? Uh, Pender was the name, oh, yes, um, yeah. Paddy Pender. He was, uh, you see, when the ministers, when, when we had our own um, government, when we had our own... My father really didn't get involved because he was in Ballinikilner all that time. But when it came to the trees, uh, by... The year why, of the treaty. Why, why didn't I mean? How could it? It's because he had a family. And a, yeah, and uh, and then he was in Ballykindler for almost yeah. two years. And his brothers were were fighting anyway. Uh, they were. Yeah. Uh, they said there was enough of them. I thought. And he used to say, he used to say to them, they'd all meet here, Kevin O'Higgins, all of them, Desmond Fitzgerald, all of them would come here, and they'd be sitting around the table, the dining room table, arguing politics. And my father would say, "In the end, you'll have to sit down round tables." And and um, this was the beginning of the civil war, was yeah, it? Yeah, really. Yeah, and, and, and the forming of the new government. Yeah, and new government. And when um, Kevin O'Higgins was one of the um, secretaries, he wasn't even a minister. He wasn't even a plenipotentiary, but he went over every. He went to London every day when they, the, negotiate, the treaty negotiations were going on. Yes. And he came back every night with the uh, papers and they were given to Dev. And he went out with his orders again in the morning. And Collins was moving further and further away from Dev's... Uh, Collins knew we'd never get a 32 Ireland. There was yeah. no way, no way. Yeah. Not after the Boundary Commission in, in the North. Yeah. In 1914, it gave them the North. There was no way back at that stage. But... Um, as my grand, my grandfather was in the congested districts board. He was a sen- he was the senior inspector. He had a law degree, and he um, used to commute from Kilrickle. This is very interesting. From Kilrickle to Dublin every week, and passing the village when we had a post office, there was a, a postmistress was Mrs. Kelly, and he would uh, get out of his whatever he had, carry dress boss, and go into the post office and say, tell the station master in, in, Lockre- in, Ballinath- in Crowell to hold the train, I'll be late. And they would. Oh, yeah. And his mother, 
Bridges Lennon, Bridges Hogan, she um, was madly interested in politics. She was at school in Belgium and with Irish nuns, you know, the Kyle Moore nuns, those nuns. And um, she came back and, uh, and married and was madly interested in politics. And between the two connections, you know, the Hogans and the Glennons, um, she was uh, pushed them into... She felt that Irish people, educated Irish people, should do something for the good of the country, you know. And uh, then her, her husband died. My grandfather died quite suddenly. There were four of them in college. Uh, no, uh, Mary was out. She was finished. She had a degree. My father, he died. He was qualified the year after his father died. Nellie, she was also in, in UCD. She was very clever. And Nora, who subsequently became a, um, a Columban nun, and she was all over the world. She was brilliantly clever. Now, those four were in college. There were four younger ones yes. here. And all she the, the, her, all the income, she had very little pensions. The British pensions were buttons, you know. It was funny, going through papers some years ago when I was trying to straighten out the deeds to this place, um, I came across letters from the Revenue Commissioner. She owed them 12 and sixpence right. in <laughs> income tax. But I, to get the education abroad in those days, it costs money. I don't know how they Where did, did they get it? Uh, they, these O'Hallorans people had unlimited money. And they were uh, from Clare. I don't know where they came. I think it came from the colonies somewhere. Yes. And uh, uh, But they were educated abroad. Now, all my aunts went to... All my aunts, my five aunts, went to school in London and subsequently in Paris. Well, that was a great opportunity. Yes, it was. Now, their, aunt, their aunt was the Reverend Mother and the Notre Dame de Sion nuns in Paris and London. She, had, she was in London first, and then she was transferred to Paris. And I think they were educated for nothing. I really do. I can't see any other... Their father was dead. My father was only just qualified as a solicitor, having done his, an arts degree first. And there was this farm here. Yeah. And in those days, farms didn't make that kind of money. When did the Hogans buy this uh, the, the, uh, they, um, um, My grandmother inherited it from the Jacksons, who were her relations, and um, they inherited it from another relation, but he wasn't happy with them because uh, he felt they didn't mind the property. So when, um, when they died, my grandmother, who was Bridges Hogan, inherited this property. And then she married a man from Clare, Michael um, Hogan, from Bodike in the county Clare. My grandmother had all these very grand notions, as they had in those days. And she sat around and she said, uh, well, um, she expected my father would keep her in the, in the luxury she was accustomed to when her, her and her husband was alive. And she, she owned the property, you see. And um, she insisted that all the girls would go to college were very clever, however. But it's, in a way, it's easy for them. They went to London to school and into Paris to school. Yeah. They had the languages. Yes. Do you see? They came back here to college then. And it was easy enough when you were fluent in a couple of languages. And Bridget continued to tell me about her father, Paddy Hogan. Uh, my father, anyway, qualified as a solicitor. And he set up practice in Lochray with Vincent Shields. The firm is still there. Shields, the Shields family are still there. And he was, he was trying to farm this place, run a practice. 
And he, inherited, he didn't own the house. This is it. He didn't own the property. It was his mother's. But they did do, um, when he married, they did do a, um, sort of a settlement that it, it, she would have it for her lifetime and um, he would inherit mm. it then. The problem was he died before she did. He was killed in a car crash in 1936, coming home from and Bridget continues talking about her two uncles, James and Michael Hogan, from Clare Bridge. James was born in 1898 or 97. What kind of a man was he? Very shy, very yeah. retiring. Most interesting, you would sit for hours listening to him. And he had a, a very analytic mind and you could follow everything on the line. Oh, he was a marvellous man. But what, where he left us cold was that uh, he, he followed international politics the whole time. They knew exactly what was going on everywhere. And, oh. But there was a time that he was hunted, you know, he was chased and he was hunted by the black and tans. Oh, he was, he was, he was. They were, both of them, James and Michael, were involved in the black and, uh, in the trouble, the pre-treaty uh, War of Independence. War of Independence, yeah. that's the word, I'm losing it. And um, they, they, they decided, the, the powers that be in the castle decided that they would want to have one Hell sweep, and they'd um, collect all the le- what they thought to be the leaders of the agitators in in in, uh, in each county. And here in Galway, they c- collected my father, who always said he wasn't he hadn't time to be involved in politics. He was educating his four ch- his four sisters. He was uh, funding his mother. He was running this farm and a big practice. He had three or four offices. He'd lock Ray Balanslow, Balanslow's main office, Gort and Ballygar. No wonder he was killed driving home from the office. But uh, anyway, uh, my father was, Patrick Hogan was incarcerated in Ballykindler camp. He came across Ballykindler. Now there was Joe McGrath. Does that mean anything to it you? It does. The Irish speech says so. Joe McGrath, uh, Paddy McGilligan, Tom O'Higgins Sr., the old doctor. Oh, lots of them. One of the... Uh, the uh, one of the... Uh, Davids. Oh, 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 and oh, a lot of... Uh, they, they, they obviously got lists in each county and they picked up fellows that had, were educated. A lot of his time, my father's time in college and the other two chaps time in college. They were up in Ballycanley. They were there for 18 months up to the treaty, leaving behind young wives and families and no way to support them. And when I was elected first, this is an interesting story, I met a, a man in Ballygar, I think he was, very nice man, Collins. He was a Fianna Gael councillor. He was years older than I was. I must tell you his uh, story, he said. I was in Ballykindler from the time I was 17 till whatever, 19. And he said, I got ill. And uh, the doctor, Dr. Tom, as he called him, Tom O'Higgins, he was a prisoner too, uh, told me to go to the camp doctor, you see. And he did. The camp doctor said, oh, you'll be all right. Come if you have the pain in the stomach. Come back to me tomorrow. So... uh, Anyway, he went, he did his clinic or whatever they did in those days, and he went home, the, the camp doctor. And he got worse and worse during the day, Paddy Collins. And at that evening, Tom O'Higgins sent a message to the doctor, and he said, no, uh, as one doctor to another, he'll, he'll be all right in the morning. So when it came late in the night and it looked as if the young man was going to die, they took him down to the kitchen, 
the prisoners and they got a kitchen carving knife and a bottle of whiskey and they made him drink all the whiskey and Tom O'Higgins took out his appendix on the kitchen table with the kitchen knife. Isn't that something? And here I am, he said, to tell you the story. Wasn't it incredible? It was indeed. Incredible. But a a lot of bonds were made Oh, huge amounts of that. Um, And they they taught... uh, What they did, um, people... With any qualifications at all, they t- they were bo- they had nothing to do all day long. They were bored out of their mind. They taught them Irish, the other ones Irish history, um, a little bit about uh, civics, politics. They played uh, GAA and rugby and played chess forever. And Tom O'Higgins made a little silver med- medal <laughs> uh, for a chess. Competition and my father won it in the Saron somewhere, I think it's in that little cabinet there now. And anyway, he was there all that time, but at this stage they were getting more and more politically uh, involved. And my father was chosen as a candidate for the the election 1918, was it 1918, from Belly Kinler, and he was elected. Still, <laughs> you know the first all. I do, of course. Yeah, and, and, the, and then he came out, and uh, when he came out here, he had to pick up all the threads from his practice and his farm, and uh, you know his mother was still alive. But and, the sarcophice that oh, uh, yeah. the wives had. You oh know, and, yeah. But any of the women, Hogan women, take any part in? They were very that. involved, but not public. Mary and my Mary, she was. Um, 1916, she was doing her MA. Thomas MacDonald was one of her um, sponsors, and that's what they call him. Did, did Tom, yes, Thomas MacDonald, did, uh, yeah. did, did he actually teach he was, her? He did, and he taught my mother. Oh, Isn't that interesting? It's fascinating. And my mother graduated. Um, uh, she was in Loretta, Loretta in the Green, and subsequently in the Sorbonne. She was very musical. But she went to... Um, she was teaching in Dublin, and then uh, she was involved in all that. She kept involved with the political crowd. That's since 1916, you see. I, she was Mona Farrell. Farrell at yeah. that stage. Oh, where did the Farrells come from? They're from Cabinteely, County Dublin. Just, it's extraordinary, the, the uh, intricacies uh, associated mm. with the families. families. Yes, yeah, of course. Yeah. But, but, get but, back. But, but your mother then survived here. Oh, she did. She, she yes, did. Yeah. She died in... Uh, she was 61 when she died. We yeah. were the, the children of our second marriage, you see. Yeah. And um, she was, what, mm, 40. She was about 35 or 6 when she married my father, you know? Yeah. And uh, she was widowed twice in 10 years. Yeah. Could you credit Michael Davison, my father? In 10 years. It doesn't bear thinking of, really. What kind of a woman was she? I mean, she was an see. incredibly beautiful a highly talented woman, and she drank herself to death. Did she, she did. She did. She did. Was that depression? Oh, terrible! It was the pressure. It the was pressure and depression. As and well. depression. Yeah. It was the pressure from the Hogans and the Davids. Really? Yeah. But um, how did she manage with you then? You know, she when... didn't. Well, she did. She. Did. We had a governess who was marvelous, Miss Drohan. She was half French and half Irish, and she. She was a nurse by profession, and she was here for seven years, and we were small. And then she decided to get married, and she married to the secretary of the Department of Agriculture, which was funny. And he had, he was a widower, and he had five young sons who were absolutely wild, you yeah, know. Yes. <laughs> and she having 
her beautifully trained little girls had to face these young lads uh, and the youngest ones were twins and their mother died in childbirth, so you can imagine. But after that then, Monica and I were sent to boarding school and I don't know who looked after the children here and my mother got worse and worse. Then she had a stroke in her 50s. That was the beginning of the really downhill. And um, uh, she died in 61, you see. I thought that was, we thought that was old, but 62, I'm wrong, 62. And um, she got another very bad stroke, and she only lived two years after that. And Margaret, who was in Vincent's at the time, she's dead now, Margaret, my sister, she was just qualified, and she came down, and she looked after her here. And I was just in the doll. But, but, but can I ask you, uh, it, 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 during that civil war, I mean... It, it, um uh, Erskine Childers now. Yeah, there was a comment made about him. His father was executed. Uh, Erskine Childers. Yes. In, in, to, in their wisdom or lack of it, lack of it, I would think it was lack of experience. The government decided that anyone carrying guns that shouldn't be carrying guns would mm. be executed. Now, Erskine Childers was executed. Liam Mellows was executed. What was the one, the other man that was Kevin O'Higgins' friend? He was his best man. Rory O'Connor was Kevin O'Higgins' best man. And he was one, they were all the 77. You must have known all about the, when the 77 were executed. Yes, and, and so the responsibility of, of, carry, of oh, carrying yeah. out those orders. Yeah. And um, they, anyway, after much uh, heart. I must heart searching. They decided to execute them all, which is a terrible thing to do. Looking back in this, I don't suppose the families. I never met anyone. Oh, I did. I met one person who said they were they were right. It did stop the civil war. That was the end of it. They lost Arthur Griffiths. They lost Michael Collins. They lost Arthur Griffiths within three weeks. And I remember when I was a little girl saying to my mother, what did Arthur Griffiths die of? And I would say a little girl, 17 or 18, that's what, when I was getting interested in politics. She said, look, she was playing patience, and she looked up at me and she said, a broken heart. So she thought, and she said, well, really, he died of, a, a, I think, a brain hemorrhage. And yeah, yeah. But uh, he was a desperate loss to the government. This, this fledgling states that had no, and none of them had no experience in, in, policy, in government, if you like, uh, running a country. They were all brilliant young men, every one of them, but not, uh, not, gear, not trained like the British are. You know, to come out uh, from the civil service and the universities and all this. Yeah. There was nothing. The British took everything, really. Yeah. They didn't mean to. But many people don't realise that when the British pulled out of Ireland, they brought not only their money, their expertise, and a lot of the qualified people. People who looked hard at it and said, I'll get good jobs in the British civil servants. The judiciary. A lot of them went. And the ones that were left were pro treaty to a great extent, young, qualified barristers, mm. and they became judges. Bridget recalls a fascinating story about her father's sister, Nora Hogan, who was a missionary sister in China for many years. My father's sister, Nora, was a very clever um, young woman, and when her father was dead, of course, this stage, she decided that she wanted to be a nun, and she was afraid to tell her mother, because her mother was very, my grandmother was very ambitious for the girls. She was still sort of in the time where they would make good marriages and become somebody in society, you see. 
And anyway, uh, Kevin O'Higgins was here at lunch, and she was, um, my grandmother was not so well or something. She was very deaf anyway, more than myself. And uh, Aunt Nora was the hostess, and she was thinking, my godly ever go. I'm due down to the convent in such and such a time. And her cousin came, and anyway, Kevin went, and they went uh, down to see the nuns, and she decided... um, the Columban nuns, and she decided, yes, this was for her. So she came back and she said to her mother, she was going to enter the convent, um, the, the, the Columban nuns, and my grandmother looked at her and said, ah, oh, my dear, why would you do a thing like that? <laughs> she felt she was wasting all her talents. She had been in Heidelberg University, and Nora. She finished in Heidelberg. But anyway, she joined, and she was all over the world. And she was in China. This is only, by the way, just background to the Hogans. They were interesting people. She was in China when they when they drove out the religious orders. Oh yes, yes. And she, they were going through. They went to the Philippines. Hmm? Went to the Philippines. She went to the Philippines then. And she was in the Philippines, and she became boss of the order, and she was very talented. But the war came, of course, and uh, they were. Um, Hunted from place to place, and she always says, "The hand of God saved them." Uh, they were on one of the small a- islands, and uh, they picked up uh, a young man who was an American. <clears throat> and whatever way they got him on another boat, and he got back anyway. Eventually, and a sack of grain came to them. They were starving. A, a sack of rice came to them, and there were only four nuns left at this stage. And the, this, the uh, whoever answered the door said to the um, uh, said to the nun, uh, I'll get Reverend Mother, and she came and it was rice, and they had nothing in the house. And she used to say, oh, God will provide, God will provide. But God did provide in that, but uh, they were uh, arrested then in, and interned. And she said it was very interesting. While the Japanese were very, very frightened, uh, very uh, cruel, they were frightened of the religious. They felt that they had powers that might, you, you know, know like long ago, that was a curse yeah. on them or something. But what an adventure! I mean, yeah, and she, then, she went through all that. Uh, she did, and then after the war, when MacArthur was trying to negotiate, um, he said to his officers, "Go out and get me someone who can speak all the dialects. I can't manage, you know, all the different uh, Filipino dialects and the islands of all that." So uh, the, uh, one young man came uh, to her and uh, to him, back to him, and said, "Oh, well, I only met one, and she's an Irish nun, but she can speak any language you like and most of the dialects, and she was very good at languages." Well, he said, "Get her." So well, he, she has no clothes. He said, "She's in rags." You know, they yes. were straight out of the camp. Will you, will you get her clothes? Go up to whoever is supplying clothes and describe her. And he got shirts and trousers and underwear for her. And uh, he, he brought her in. And she described... Do you remember this when she was old and came here? No. She, you, weren't, you weren't just married, I think. She uh, described... Uh, he, he said... He sent up a message. They were dining, the officers, you know, like the Ritz, absolutely in the Philippines. Oh, absolutely, you know, dining, champagne and everything. They lived it up, the Americans, you know. But uh, they were in the dining hall and, uh, or the mess, as they call it, and he sent a message that he was here with sister, mother, Francis de Sales, and, and MacArthur said, bring her up. Yes. And she, her sight was going because of her lack of malnutrition, mm. and she describes the door was on the side of the room, and the main table was up there, and there were tables all around the place. And um, 
MacArthur stood up and then they all stood up and she walked up and he, he, he told her she was welcome and then she looked down the table. She said, tell me, is that butter? She hadn't seen butter for ten years. They were eating butter and everything. You know. And she um, translated all the dialects for, for yeah. him. Yeah. And she, uh, she, then she, she um, came back to America to the order. He, uh, he said, where would you like to go, Mother? And she said, well, I'd have to get permission from my order. And he said, they said, um, well, we'll get permission, should they, the order sent back permission post-haste. This one, they had all the, the uh, negotiations done. And um, uh, she got permission to, to go to America. And when she arrived in America, wherever the Boston was, the Columbans are, yeah, on the tarmac was a priest, a Father Michael Mochler, whose father was a herd in this place. When you met her, I mean... Did I'm, when I met her as an old lady, oh, yeah. she was very clear. She, oh, she was very interesting, and she'd say to me, we were driving around, she had cousins in Gort, and we were driving back from Gort one day, and I was driving, you know, and we were talking about W.B. Yeats, and I said, you know, his son was in the Senate with us. What? She said, and she grabbed my hand, you know, I nearly went over the ditch, and I, she said, but his father was Fine Gael. Of course, I said. We must talk about Kevin O'Higgins. My father was staying in Kevin's house and he went out to play golf on that Sunday morning with, um, with the British ambassador. So he came in. And at this stage, Owen McNeil was there. And um, they brought in Kevin and they brought a mattress down from, the, uh, from one of the bedrooms and they put it in the drawing room floor. And he, he was perfectly conscious, though he had six bullets in his back. He felt nothing because, of course, his spine was cut and um, spinal cord and um, anyway Harry Barneville I see his son's death his grandson's death in yesterday's paper, oh. paper Dr Harry Barneville um, uh, the he, they, he was the Fine Gael doctor he was the government doctor and there wasn't a thing Barney couldn't do you know he, um, if anything my father broke his wrist playing tennis here and he came down and, and all that and all that but anyone went and Anyone that was ill, seriously ill from here, if they had money or not, my father would send them up to Barney if they were friends of his. But anyway, when by the time all the O'Higginses, I mean, there was a huge family of them. Those that were around were there, and uh, my father was there, and uh, Kevin was telling them what they should do and shouldn't do. And, you know, it was. Yeah. Uh, so Barney came in, and there was a doctor there, and. Um, Men wore hats in those days, and he had his hat in his hall, in his hands. And the maid said to him at the door, "I'll take your hat, sir." And she said, "No, no, and let me in." So he he had his hat, and then he had he looked at him, and he had a consultation in the corner of the drawing room, and uh, they decided that don't stir him; he's going to die, you know. And there's no hope for him. You see, in those days, there wasn't six bullets in his spine, in his back, shot from behind, and. Uh, well, no, the first shot was in front, and then he fell over. And um, Do we know who shot him? We do, we do. And it's a long story. He, uh, he, he fe- anyway, Barney uh, uh, was sitting on the couch, and my father was on the couch, and he'd have his hat, and he'd say, then he'd get up and he'd walk around the, 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 the bed, for the want of something, and talk to Kevin and feel his... Pulse and all that, and he said, and finally it clicked with Kevin O'Higgins, and he said to him, Barney, am I going or are you? You know, he had his hat in his hands. Are you going out the door? He said, You're going, Kevin. 
Yes. And my father was absolutely devastated. Absolutely devastated. Of course. He yes. never really recovered. Mummy said that. Yeah. yeah. And anyway, th- what happened? Now, years and years and years later, what happened was mm-hmm. uh, Una, or Mally, Una O'Higgins, yeah. Kevin's youngest daughter, uh, was in Brompton Oratory at Mass one morning. And Brompton is divided in squares, as you know. You can cross over and cross over. Uh, two aisles or whatever you call it in churches. But uh, there was a man walking up and down behind oh, her. And he kept saying, I, I murdered Kevin O'Higgins. I murdered Kevin O'Higgins. I murdered Kevin So she was very concerned. And she um, went into the sacristy and she said to the priest, I, um, I, there's a man out here and he keeps saying, I, I murdered Kevin O'Higgins. And that, she said, that was my father. And he was murdered. So they said, we know him well, we take care of him, we take care of him, you know, he was, uh, but that, uh, he, what happened, the morning Kevin, oh, what? where are we, yeah, Sorry, the morning, put down the, Nora, put down the screen, yeah. line down, uh, Kevin was walking down to Mass, and he always walked with his hands in his pockets, like a lot of Irishmen, and uh, <clears throat> this car pulled up, and three young men got out of it, and they shot him. One, they shot the first, then he fell forward, and uh, he fell forward, and they put three more shots in his back. And they went, were going to a GAA match in Wixford or Waterford or something, and they ro- went down to, um, to their match and expected to be arrested all the time. Uh, they were there, and they got back, and nothing happened, and nothing happened. They were anti-treaty. They were children of anti-treaty. They weren't even brothers. They were children of anti-treaty people, so they would be on the other side, you know. They saw him, and their description, um, they saw him walk to Mass, and they knew who he was, you know. But after that, then, all the guard, all the ministers had guards, and we had a Captain Thompson here. He wasn't in our time. But years later, years and years oh, later... Not, not 20, 20 years. No, about 15 years mm. later. No, ago. Ago, yes, yes, ago. Una got a letter. I thought I could put my hand on it last night, and I must have filed it away so carefully I can't find it. From a young man who said, uh, I shot Kevin O'Higgins. Hmm. Una O'Malley. I shot Kevin O'Higgins. And he described, he says, um, he. Um, he, no, he didn't. My father shot Kevin O'Higgins. And he describes his father who lost his mind after it. And he always thought that Kevin O'Higgins' ghost was haunting him. He was before him everywhere he went. He emigrated to Australia and he brought his children... What no, was his name? Clancy. Clancy, Clancy. And he brought um, his family out there and then... And he told them all about what, how it happened and everything. And, but he made them swear that they'd never tell anyone till he was dead. So after he died, I know I was ironing in the kitchen when it came over the news. And, and, and um, um, his son wrote to Una, and he told her the whole story. And I thought it was pathetic in the end of it. He said, please forgive the misspellings in this letter, but I am dyslexic. Wasn't it funny? But anyway, Una, who always did everything right, uh, she was abroad at the time, and she came into Dublin Airport to see the headings on the paper, you know. And she said, what the hell is going on here, you know. And uh, he issued a copy of his, the letter to the paper, and she hadn't got it, she was abroad. And uh, she was in Paris for the weekend or something. And um, Una met the four, three of them, and another pal. And she said... 
we'll, you know, we'll um, talk things over, and they did. And then she arranged with the Jesuits, who are friends of all of our families, um, to say a mass for them, mm. for the, all the souls that involved in this. And she sort of, you know, they were terribly bitter. And, and the young man I heard him interviewed, who was quite young, the fellow that I heard interviewed, and he so, said... Uh, uh, she forgave my father, she said, but we, the O'Higgins have a lot to forgive us for. For what in God's name, you know? I often thought that. But Kevin was an extraordinary man. He set up the, the laws in this country, such as they are. Such as they are. He took the British system and adapted it to the Irish. And he, he gave this country democracy. We've come to the end of this week's podcast, An Irish Political Dynasty, with Bridget Hogan O'Higgins. Bridget will be talking about her own political life in next week's podcast. Both full-length interviews are available on her web page, that's irishlifeandlore.com. And if you would like to support her work, you can do so by donating something. And those facilities are on her website as well. I'm Morris O'Keefe and I look forward to bringing you Bridget Hogan O'Higgins' own political life story next week. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.